And three, two, one. Hello and welcome back, folks, to another edition of a Humanistic Perspective podcast. We have a very exciting episode for you today, and I'm very excited to introduce my guest, folks. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined with Aiden Jones. Aiden is a comedian, an international touring comedian, all the way living in Australia. He does removals, and I'm very, very excited and eager to jump into this conversation. How are you? And good morning, Aiden. What's going on, bro? Thanks so much for having me on the pod. Yeah, of course, of I, course. I, that's so funny. I feel like he does removals, like as if it's like, um, as if it's something as if it's like, like in any way, thing, like oh, uh, as if it's like in any way connected to comedy at all. <laughs> that's fantastic. So mm. I, I, I want to take an opportunity to explore your life and get to know you way more, if we could. Uh, take me. Yeah, bro, I'd love what that. Your childhood, like, man. Um, I grew up in Adelaide. I don't know. So I live in Melbourne, um, but I grew up in Adelaide. I don't know if people know Adelaide. It's a city of like one point something million people. Um, but they call it a small, they call it like a, like a big country town, you know, like it's a very spread out city. There's not a lot of big streets and stuff. There's like one, we have one tram and a few trains. No kidding. Um, yeah. So it's kind of a quiet town of a bit of a million people. (laughs) <laughs> sick sick and what um, was uh what was the school system like what was life like in the house parent wise too what, what was that like yeah it was all good uh, so oh well i can start at the start i guess my, i'm a uh, mixed race half colombian because my mom was backpacking hey. when she was 22 she came back to australia and uh, found out she was pregnant so no that's me and um I uh, never met my biological dad. They spoke for a few months after I was born, but he was in Colombia. He couldn't come. So they just were like, all right, well, that's that. So my mom was a single mom when I was born, but uh, she met my dad, my stepdad. I call him my dad when I was two. And uh, they had my little brother who's like four and a half years younger than me. And so that was my family growing up. Beautiful, beautiful. And what was yeah. the dynamic like? Were you a troublemaker? Were you a play by the rules? Were you good in school? Sort of what was your headspace like? Oh, man, I was so good in school. I crushed school. <laughs> I'm telling you, I fucking was like, uh, I remember um, I, I, so I went to a public primary school, but the public okay. school system in Australia is pretty good. And the school that I went to a primary school was really good. Um, and then I got a scholarship to a private school. So it was like half, half like academic scholarship. Oh, and yeah. um, I remember my teacher in year seven, Mrs. Tease, who fucking loved me. Um, I just, I was such a fucking swatty little fuck. Um, and I remember she took me aside one, like after school one day and I was like 12 and this lady's like 50. And she was like, Aiden, you know, you've got the scholarship. You've just, you've got everything you need to succeed in this life. You've got the brains, you've got the looks, you've got the talent. And I was like, the looks <laughs> like a 12 year old kid. Hell? She's like, I was like, yeah, man, my teacher thinks I'm hot. This is sick. <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing that registered. you like the other stuff passed. Yeah. Through. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or just what a weird thing to say to a kid, you know? Oh, facts. Totally. Totally. But that's a, I guess you she know, needed a third thing, you, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is true. They got to build you up. Sure, sure. So, damn. All right. Did you, high school time? Did you know? Did you go to college? What were you planning on doing 
uh, where, where did you know that you wanted to become a comedian? Was that always going to become the path? Like sort of give me that, that scenario. Man, I, um, I played, uh, oh, sorry. I went, um, I went to yeah high school, finished high school. The system's a bit different here. So okay. like you finish high school here when you're 17. I don't know if that's the same as the States. It's about and then, 17, 18. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, but some people don't, some people like drop out at 15 and then go get a trade. And so that's like your tradesman. And then after school though, you go to university, there's no college thing. It's just university. So you go straight to your bachelor. And if you don't go to university, that's not like, like I know in the States, if you don't go to college, that's like fucked. Right. Yeah. Like it's pretty much status quo. If you don't know what you do, you're probably going to college. Yeah. So in, in Oz, if you don't know what you're doing, you, I went to uni, but I didn't finish. I dropped out twice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I started doing a bachelor of science of what I would tell people high performance computational physics was the name of the course. Hell yes, bro. You're no, a physics dude, man. Not hell yes, man. I was such <laughs> a fucking arrogant little cunt and i was just like yeah man like i just did that course so that i could tell people that i was doing that doing course that co- oh that's the worst reason to get into that of course right and i did six weeks and i dropped out um, how many how many I, of your uh, colleagues were taking adderall just to finish their coursework yeah, <laughs> totally man well i don't even i didn't meet anyone in the courses like i just i went to uni I didn't do anything. I went there. I must have done like two or three weeks of lectures, but I spent most of my time at the bar. And uh, I did I did psychology. Was So my courses in that were like physics, maths. I think I did logic and psychology. And I did psychology because there was heaps of girls in the class. And I spent a whole of my first month trying to get with this blonde girl called Hazel. And that didn't work out. And then after a while, I was like, all right, I think I'm going to drop out then. <laughs> Oh yes. Yeah. No, you had better things to do. Why waste the time and the money? I I don't know if is university as expensive as colleges here. Uh, it's not as expensive, but also you get a loan from the government and you don't have to pay it back until you start earning whatever amount of money, which I do not earn. So I haven't paid my loan back. (laughs) And so wait, you're telling me like, if you're, if there's some people right now who could be chilling in their like mid to late thirties and like still maybe aren't making the like income amount that you need to and can don't have to pay it. Yeah, legit. I think it's, um, so my loan, I think my, it's called a hex debt. I don't don't know what that stands for, but, but it's, uh, yeah, mine's like like 12 grand, which is pretty low. You can have up to, you can have up to a hundred grand. So that's like Um, a doctor or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's just as much as you're allowed before the government caps it, you know? (laughs) Um, but yeah, mine's at 12 grand and I think I need to earn like 50 grand taxable a year before I pay that back, which is, Mm. you know, I, I I think last year I could like 40 something. So maybe I'll have to start paying it back next year. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's pretty calm, man. Yeah. That's so cool. That's fascinating. What else? What uh, like do kangaroos? Are they everywhere? Is that like a raccoon here? <laughs> do people hit them like they're bugs or man, something? Man, in the it's funny. People ask that question, and normally, like, British people often ask, like, "What is there like spiders? Do you get like snakes in your ass?" <laughs> and uh, I'm like, "Man, I live in a fucking city. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, but, I see the same fucking Ubers you see in your city. Yeah, but." <laughs> Actually, last week I saw on Instagram footage of a fucking kangaroo hopping down someone's street. So, <laughs> are they maybe vicious? not? 
Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Damn. Are they vicious creatures? Like, do you have to watch out for them? No, they're pretty chill. Um, if you go like way out bush, the red kangaroos, which are really big, will I've heard I've never I've never like been attacked or anything like that. And mm. I, you know, they're pretty chill. They're not like super tall, but you have to watch out. If they go back on their tail, then they kick out with their legs, and that's like they like stand on their tail and kick out with their legs, and that's like real vicious. Whoa, that's pretty badass. Yeah, it's cool, hey. Yeah, yeah. They like go back. Like, imagine that. Imagine having a little thing That's to go back on, and then you just kick at a motherfucker, just at the bar, just pissed. Just <laughs> start ringing them out. So yeah, in savage. college, you were saying you were you were in the bar scene more, networking, getting out there. Did you start doing open mics, or like when did comedy pick up for you? Yeah, I start. So I started doing comedy when I was twenty. I'm thirty now. Um, so I do in school. In school, I played piano, and I thought I was going to be a musician. And I, uh, I went to audition for the conservatory in, uh, in Adelaide for like classical piano, but I'd been to schoolies the week before and I was still, you know, kind of cooked from that. And I didn't learn the, the Bach piece that I needed to learn. So I flunked the audition and, um, then I just, you know, kind of lost like my track with piano and spent a few years. Like I dropped out of uni. I worked in a nightclub for like 18 months and like did a bunch of drugs and all my friends were like, you know, those people, um, just dealers and DJs and stuff. Yep. The people and then the circuit. Yeah. We were just all running around, just, you know, fucking blowing all our money. I would what work was the like craziest just, substance you did during that time. Um, I PCP, smoked a little bit of meth. Ketamine. I smoked, I smoked a little bit of meth for Jeez, like, how hell yeah. yeah. Okay. A handful of times. Um, I, you know, I got fired from a job once for staying up for four days and then showing oh, up to the job. Shit. I was looking at the, the clock on my phone and uh, <laughs> it's it said seven. And I was like, I think I maybe I'd set the clock to a.m. instead of p.m. But what <laughs> I, I showed up at seven in the morning instead of seven at night because I just had no concept of what time it was. And uh and then I like knocked on the door and I was like, there's no one in the pub. Like, what the fuck? How am I supposed to go to work? <laughs> and then I realized like it was morning. Um, so yeah, that was probably, I got pretty like, yeah, I was pretty fucked for a few years there, but yeah. then I, um, you know, Bill Hicks, uh, I maybe like American, good. American comic. He died in like 94. I think he was 30 something years old, very young, but just, you know, revered in comedy circles. And I watched a documentary about his life. It's called American, the Bill Hicks story. Mm -hmm. um, I have to check that and, out. Oh, dude, it's amazing. I mean, he, you know, and he was, a, he was big on like um, hallucinogenics and like opening oh, your yes. mind like that, which as a 20 year old dude, I was like, fuck yeah, yeah man. Yeah. And I need um, to seek more. Yeah, yeah, my third eye, dude. <laughs> and uh, so I, I, he started when he was 14. He started doing open mics and I was 20 when I watched that. So I was like, fuck, all right. If a kid of 14 can go do stand-up, I reckon I'm allowed to go do stand-up. And I just like found an open mic in my city and, and started like a couple of weeks later. Wow. And talk me through like those first experiences, like, are you nervous? What is your standup material like? Is it like, do you remember one of your first jokes? Was it? Yeah, I do. Was it good? I, I remember one because someone complimented me on this joke and this was one of my only jokes for a few years. Like I was so bad, man. I was horrific. I was really, <laughs> really bad. But uh, this one was, um, you know, rat's tails, like the haircut. 
yeah, the rat's yeah. tail. Yep. Yeah, I would say um, when I see someone who has a rat's tail, makes me feel like they're trying to say to me, see how long I've been growing this rat's tail. That's how long I've been a dickhead. Uh, <laughs> it's all right. That's it's not all bad. Right. That's not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it's, like, it, it's a, it's a bit of a non Kill Tony. Do you listen to Kill Tony? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Kill Tony. Hell yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, it's a bit of a non sequitur, isn't it? It's just like, why is this kid, you know, wearing ripped jeans and now he's talking about rat's tails with no context? Like, he doesn't yeah. have a rat's tail. He's not telling a story about rat's tails. He's just, hey, you know rat's tails? I've got a joke about them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty cool, too, the way you're describing, like, how you positioned that joke and, like, in the satirical sense of with how you're presenting it, who you are and understanding that and how you deliver it, that plays into it. Um, could you maybe describe a little more of like your creative style as a comedian or like your, your thought process as a comedian? How does that work for you, both with writing jokes and also performing on the stage? Well, I mean, I guess in the context of that joke, you're, that's a fucking lot of questions. <laughs> I'm curious. I want to dissect your style. It's so yeah, you're like, tell me everything about your approach in stand up. <laughs> um, I guess with that joke, what I like, why I kind of think it's so funny now to think about that joke is that yeah, it was just coming out of nowhere. And I think in stand up, you need to have, you know, it's like a conversation, right? I wouldn't just walk up to a person I've never met and go, hey, you know, rat's tails. They'd be like, what? What are you talking mm. about? Why are you saying that to me? So it's kind of like, you got to say hello. You got to, you know, like give a little bit of context for who you are or like why you're talking. And I, I try and do that when I do stand up, I try and imagine it as like a conversation, which I know a lot of people talk about the conversational style, but then if you watch a lot of stand up, still there are people that, you know, part of the way they get laughs is, is kind of the absurdity of like talking about this thing or that thing, or they just kind of go, you know, they get really hard up against like going from one topic to another topic with no links. And that's fine. That's one way to do it. But I like my stand up to feel like a conversation and to feel like, you know, I'm just talking to you. I like people even to not know, like if I do my own show, I like people to not realize that the show has kind of started and they're just laughing, but they, maybe they think, you know, I started off making it up. And then at some point I went into my material and they kind of couldn't tell when I switched. I uh, like that. Um, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's really, really cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it does because it's how you're thinking about it. And that's literally what I wanted to get to was how, how do yeah. you process it? To, that's so cool. So do you write, do you write a lot? do you sit down deliberately and write? Do you just yeah, sort of come up with jokes like while you're out and about or like, how are you doing that with yourself getting through? I sit down. Um, the way that I come up with things that I want to talk about is I just have conversations with my friends and whoever in my life. And if I notice myself saying something a few times in the week, I'm like, all right, that's a good story clearly. Cause I'm trying to tell it to a lot of people. So mm -hmm. I should say that on stage and then I'll sit down and I'll try and write some jokes to do with the story, you know, and, um, or like if I've, maybe I'll, maybe I've just, I'll go on stage that night and just tell the story, how I told it to my friend or something like that. I'm trying to get more comfortable writing from the stage. Like I'll, I'll write jokes on the page and sometimes they're good. Um, but oftentimes I'll write the joke on the page, go on stage and it doesn't work, but something else will happen that works or 
you know, I think for me, writing is not so much like I do sit with my book open every day, but the writing process isn't so much like, you know, thinking of the idea and writing it down. It's just taking the time to think about comedy and my process and make sure that, you know, like to reflect on it. Like if you don't do that in the day, then by the time you get on stage, you're just saying what you said last night. So you've got to take a bit of time to reflect on what you did last night and, and try and think about how you're going to approach it differently tonight. That's writing. Mm, I really like that. Yeah, no, that's, it's really interesting to how intentional, like, and how much it's about like being present and becoming very, very present. And when you start to do that, you can start to like advance and elevate your art. Huh? Cool. How would you describe, uh, well, I guess what, what, what would you describe as the role of comedy in society today? Oh, I, I think people sometimes take comedy a little too seriously. Hey, like, um, like, it should be, I mean, you can say things that hurt. You know what? I actually had this conversation with my housemate a few days ago. He's a gay man. And uh, he talks about, you know, the way that like Chappelle, for example. Um, and I love Chappelle, you know, Dave Chappelle. Of course, Sorry, I don't you. want to assume. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no, yeah. you're good. So, uh, a lot of my favorite comedians here. I'll just list them off for you. So you know what the head yeah, sure. comedy I run around. Uh, I love I love Kill Tony, so Tony Hinchcliffe, love Joe yeah. Rogan, Tom Segura, uh-huh. Burt Kreischer, yeah. uh, Anthony Jeselnik. Uh, sure. That's sort of Hans Kim. I've been a big fan of recently of younger guys. Yeah, okay. Um, I love Bill Burr. Bill Burr is my favorite comic. Bill Burr. Um, okay, Bill Burr is amazing too. Yeah. yeah. And then Chappelle, not, not so much Rogan. The podcast is okay when he has good guests. I don't love his stand-up. Although there was one bit on an album years ago, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hear um, you. But then I like, you know, I, I love Stan Hope. I like Stuart Lee. I don't know if you know Stuart Lee. He's a British guy. Mm, I, love um, I, I love Patrice. I love all those New York guys, you know, Patrice and whatever. And then... Yep. Um, but I always loved, and this affects the way that I think about comedy. I always loved the kind of comedy that it feels robust. It feels like you could stand in the corner of a pub and just get everyone's attention and say that stuff. And I don't so much want to be the kind of comic that you, ha- it's like theatrical, you know, you have to be like, shush, 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 everyone shush. Okay. We're going to do it now. Like, shut up, shut up. Like, I don't like that. You should just be able to fucking do it, you know? Yeah. Um, which I think plays into why I like the kind of, conversational style i'm sorry i forgot what the fucking question was gonna be though no 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 that was a perfect circle we were running around yeah i know i jumped off of it when we were talking about comedic inspiration yeah Um, yeah what for you i how was running the scene how is the aussie scene for comedy um it's great man i do um i guess it's just easy to think about it in number of gigs there's not as many gigs as I, I get really jealous of like new york comics man i would love to live in new york i lived in london for a couple of years they got a great scene there but i'm sure it's got still got nothing on new york but uh in melbourne you can do like 10 gigs a week there's a lot of bar shows some of the bar shows are really good some of them are open mics and there's like signups and stuff um you're mostly doing five to ten minutes um at those shows and then like in australia like i do my kind of year consists of perth fringe in january adelaide fringe in feb and then melbourne comedy festival is like march april all up that's probably eight weeks of me doing my solo show five six nights a week 
um, which is an hour. And then outside of that, there's like Brisbane's got a good club. Perth has a good club outside of the festival. Sydney's got a few good clubs. Melbourne's got some clubs. Um, so yeah, that's normally like to do all of those. That's probably like six months of work for me for the year. And then pre COVID I was like, there's like some touring you can do in Asia. I'll do the Edinburgh fringe. Um, I'll do some clubs in the UK and through Europe and stuff like that. So yeah, the scene in Australia is really good, man. The comics are really good. Um, I guess we get a little bit, you know, talking to someone from America, I want to be like, it's fucking as good, but you know, no one's on the level of like a Burr or a Chappelle. Sure. But um, who is your, but, uh, there's, you guys really don't have like a top star comedian, like someone that's like sells out number one, all stadiums. Mm, oh, we do, but you guys wouldn't know him. There's a dude. Fuck. I just forgot his name. God damn it. That's really bad. Um, I'm, I'm fucking going to have to look him up. There's, <laughs> there's oh, Jim good. Owen and there's, oh my God. If I look up Australia comedian, Carl Barron. Fuck. How did I forget Carl Barron? Carl Barron. Every person, if you talk to any Australian in like a town, do you like mm-hmm. comedy? They'll, the dudes will be like, yeah, maybe fucking Carl Barron. Carl Barron's so funny. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's kind of an anomaly because he's not on the circuit i've never met him i don't know anyone who's worked with him but he sells out the biggest venues and he's been huge for like 20 years he's huge and he's a master like he is you know Mm. just a very relatable every man kind of stuff you know he'll talk about fucking i don't know just observational things he'll talk about your fucking bed you know he'll (laughs) talk about blowing boogers out of your nose we're talking about going to work whatever sure sure do you find that the clubs like as you're touring internationally is there a difference in the rooms you're playing for like are there certain rooms per se i'm trying to i don't want to ask this in a weird way are there certain rooms that are like more woke are there certain rooms that are softer certain rooms that are more harder like like how does that dynamic play as you travel Mm. um there's definitely cities that are in certain little pockets of scenes so in melbourne i don't know how much you know about the socio-political layout of Australia. I, I know Melbourne a lot about what's like, going on currently with COVID in Australia, but other than that, yeah, I don't know much yeah, about sure. the political climate there. Um, so Melbourne is the kind of more European city in Australia. Um, and Sydney is a bit more, not quite American, but it's it's kind of like a fast paced, you know, go, go, go. The rents are high. Mm-hmm. um so and it's, it's just like, like a world work hard there like economic boom area. yeah yeah definitely whereas melbourne is like the arts and sporting kind of center um and oh, it's yeah. it known like Melbourne's that's where to visit on vacation then oh dude i would say sydney is beautiful sydney visually is incredible because it's on the it's on the harbor it's mm-hmm. hilly you walk along the coast and it just looks incredible and you got all of the landmarks and stuff Melbourne is a very flat landscape, so it's not as visually beautiful. But in terms of places to go, man, the nightlife, you know, the fucking art scene, cafes, all of that. I'm t- it's not just because I'm from Melbourne, but Melbourne is the fucking shit for sure. Yeah, that's really and so, but because because Melbourne is Melbourne's quite left leaning as well of all the cities in Australia, which is why we're going through this lockdown right now because it's, you know, it's a bit more of like not socialist, but like protect people, shut the city down to protect the, you know, people who can't protect themselves. Mm. Um, 
And then the, the crowds in Melbourne tend to be a little bit more like that. Um, whereas in Sydney, I guess the stereotype is that it's a little bit more hard hitting. I tend to think that gets overplayed though. Melbourne comedians definitely still have punchy jokes and all that kind of stuff. But in Melbourne, crowds will give you a bit more time. Mm, I hear what you're saying. That's really yeah. unique. That's really unique. How was it when you were in the UK? Yeah, good. Well, in, in London, completely different. Um, in London, they want, they don't, in Melbourne, they want to know, they want to like you, especially in Melbourne, a little bit in Sydney too. In London, they don't care. They just want the joke. <laughs> what's the joke? You know, they're like, we don't care who you are in Melbourne. You can go on and be like, Hey, what's up? And like, you know, just fucking be like, Hey, I'm here. Um, but in London, if you do that, people are like, come on, mate, fuck, let's go. Yeah, they're like, I've wasted my fucking money, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that can be a little bit of a shift sometimes to just, you know, when I go back there, the first show, I'm just like, all right, I got to come out hard or else they're going to fucking. Yeah. Is there an adrenaline and a dopamine rush that comes with the art of comedy and performing? I, I've performed like as a musician on stage and I've oh, felt cool. that before, but is there, yeah. is there something like that for comedy too? Like t talk me through maybe some of the chemical releases you're feeling. Oh, I don't know. About, <laughs> I, imagine if I was like, yeah, whenever I get on stage, I get a boner. Um, I don't know yeah. what the Just a last, long lasting <laughs> erection. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm not sure, man. I don't know about chemicals and stuff, but there's, de you know what I've noticed uh, in therapy recently, I've been talking about anxiety and my immediate response with anxiety is my, I get tired and I've always kind of known that because before big gigs, I often get really tired. I like will fall asleep or not fall asleep, but just like lie down backstage on a couch or whatever. Um, so yeah, there is an anxiety what are, my favorite moment in stand up is when they call your name and then you walk onto stage. Cause from that moment, it's like, this is now all up to me. As soon as they call your name, anxiety gone. Now, uh, while you're on stage, is it more, is it, do you, are you walking through in your head? Are you playing through your, your, your set layout that you've played for yourself? Or are you so in the moment that like the rest of it sort of goes out the window and then like everything you had rehearsed or, plan in your head just comes to fruition oh man i would love to get to that point i'd love to get mm. to that point where i'm just so in the moment um yeah I, I try and go on and say the first thing that comes into my head just to like so that i'm not you know re like reciting the fucking stuff yeah um i mean how do you find it with music do you go on and like do you feel like you're just in the moment there or do you just do you lean back a little bit on the stuff you planned I did. I definitely like it with jazz. I lean back on the stuff I plan. And the only time I really ever feel like I'm fully in the moment is when I'm soloing because that's yeah. when I finally close my eyes and I go away from the prepared material, man. You know, I watched this uh, video. I got to find there's this guy on YouTube. So like, what, what instrument do you play? I know you uh, probably know all this. Oh, fuck yeah, tenor, alto. Yeah, yeah, tenor is my preferred saxophone. That's I mean, sick, you could man. sort of do them all once you learn how to read different keys, but sure. Is it just a little bit higher, a little bit lower? Exactly, a little different air. How much air it takes to play them? I... An embouchure. But... Sorry, what was that? No, you it's just, just an embouchure technique. Yeah, sorry about that. The Wi-Fi. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, I know about embouchure. I played trumpet for a little bit. Oh <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. Um, I can't find the guy's name, but there's a guy. He's a pianist. He's on. He's got a YouTube channel, and he breaks down popular songs. I guess he's got an amazing ear because he can hear all the chord extensions and just fucking play them straight up, which is incredible. Oh, he's got pitch. Yeah, and it's like a really good like. Dude, he, he'll just listen to, he broke down like a new Bruno Mars song and he was like, oh, I love the fucking, I love this 11, this, this major 11. No, no, it's not. It, fuck. I'll fucking find yeah, it. You yeah, can put okay. it in the show notes or something because he's really <laughs> good, man. Yeah, he's just like, oh, I love this. I love this major 11 chord, this or this sus 11 chord or whatever. And it's like, yep. how did you pick that straight away like that? But um, he had a video that I watched yesterday and it was about soloing. And he was like, there's three levels of soloing. The first level is when you have the chord progression and the melody set for you and you're just voicing the chords. This is for piano, I guess. Mm -hmm. And you're just voicing the chords however you want. Mm -hmm. Second level is when you have the chord progression, but no set melody. So you're making up the melody and just playing the progression. And then the third level is when there's no set chord progression, no melody, nothing. And you're just making it up however you want. And he said on that third level of improvising, you, it can be helpful to just play, just let your hands land on the keyboard, however the fuck and like play bad on purpose and then use your own musical knowledge and what you know about where things might go to let that lead you in some direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and then he did a bit and it was amazing. You know, he was just like, I'm going to try and do some of that right now. And it was so fucking cool. And uh, it just, the main thing that he said was like, don't be afraid of the thing that you play sounding bad or thinking that it's going to sound bad because that's a part of it. It needs to sound bad to break out of, your established patterns and get to a place that's new. Mm. Um, that is fascinating. Yeah. I get what he's saying. You have to, it's, it's just neuro remapping, but I've never thought about it that way. Well, that's really cool. I, yeah, like, man. And I think it's so applicable too, to even like your comedy thing, like bad sets I'm sure have happened, but that's of what course. allows you to get better. Yeah. I just remembered his name, James Cornell, James Cornell, James Cornell. Yeah. I will check him out. Cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely, man. The bad sets. I mean, that's like you, you learn more from failing than you do from succeeding, right? Mm -hmm. And at the time, you don't realize that it's going to be bad. It's not like I'm trying to be bad on purpose. I don't have the fucking balls to do that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely, yeah, if something happens that's bad and then you fucking, it hurts so much that you spend a lot of time reflecting on it and then you end up learning a lot. Yeah. What was one of the toughest moments of adversity you faced in your younger years i'm saying before you're 25 would you for yourself before you okay so like maybe in stand-up or not necessarily in stand-up yeah not necessarily um, in just in your life uh i got uh i got arrested 12 days before my 18th birthday for okay. smashing a tram stop with a hammer <laughs> um wait they arrested you for that yeah, it was vandalism, right? It's like I, I had a hammer in my bag and I smashed all of the glass on like a, you know, uh, like a, the little like shelter where you, where you sit and wait for the tram. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. That, I thought you just sort of beat like a metal sign in with it. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, like I smashed like $1,100 worth of glass uh, with a hammer. Um, I was a pretty angry kid. I, I was a really fucking angry kid. Mm. Um, 
what, think, what, like maybe in, like what, what what were you working through do you think yeah it might have been like um like i talk about in my most recent show that i'm about to record uh if anyone wants to fucking watch it it should be hey. out in like january on youtube um it's we called were. Taco, and this it's the story of my biological father meeting my biological father for the first time. Whoa. And uh, I want to hear a little bit about this experience if we could talk yeah. about it. Yeah. And I talk in the show about so my nickname was Taco growing up okay. from like 15, because the first girl I ever kissed thought I looked Mexican, right? <laughs> and um, that's true. And she was like, you know, Taco, and I wanted to kiss her. So I was like, Yeah, fuck yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and um I, uh, I, I introduced myself as that for a long time because it was easier than having a conversation with everyone I met about how I never met my dad. And I don't think I knew it even at the time, but there was a lot of pain. There still is like some pain around, you know, this guy who was supposed to be my father abandoned me when I was like, you know, never met me. And, um, so maybe that, you know, but I can't say that my dad and my mom weren't like great parents and very loving right. and I got a good family. Um, never I really wanted. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, yeah, it's like same thing here. Like my parents did the best they could. It's like the way that our psyches go through our personal experiences had, may not have anything to do with it, potentially what they were trying to imply on us. It's just exactly how we experienced it. That's, you know, yeah. that's really fascinating. And it's really powerful too. And thank you for sharing that you've even been able to work through that in your head. Cause that shows like a much more mature and strong individual, like someone who can like analyze, look at their life and like understand where things are stemming from. And yeah, that's, that's so me, brilliant. bro. Mature and strong. That's <laughs> me, man. <laughs> in a way, in a way, but I think too, that's the thing too, is like, I talked to some dude who was like in his seventies and he was like, the one thing that I recognize the older I get is I feel younger each day. Like uh -huh. I feel more and more like a kid, the older I get. And like, there's something about that, that like the comedic spirit in you has that no matter how old you're getting, like there's a part of you that like recognizes that the ability to laugh and to express that emotion can, can be so powerful and profound. Yeah, sure, man. Yeah, that's not that's cool that you spoke to a guy who was 70. That must have been some really fucking I would love to get that guy's opinion on, you know, the shit that I'm going through now as a 30-year-old, right? Mm. And just see whether that guy would take that kind of stuff seriously or whether he'd be like, dude, don't fucking worry about that, you know? Seriously. Like, are our problems the same as the people who are like that much older who have been here for so much longer? Or are they just like, dude, don't fucking worry at all? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's fascinating. You say that, like, even for me in my twenties now, I'm seeing my priorities are shifting as to what I want for myself. Like, have you noticed in your thirties, the priorities that you set or the goals that you thought you might've had in your twenties have shifted? Um, I reckon a couple years ago, I had a pretty big shift in myself from like, I spent most of my twenties from starting stand up and then like moving to London um living there for two years just like going so hard after stand up and like being broke and then coming back to melbourne but still traveling a lot and trying to live this life of like a jet set you know mm -hmm. fucking touring or whatever a couple of years ago very luckily just before covid like it's kind of october 2019 mm -hmm. i um i had this feeling where i was like man i've been away like i've not been in the same place for six months for like years and um just 
being like, what, why am I, what am I running from? You know? And like realizing like, okay, what are the things I actually want in my life? I want to be a stand up comedian. I want to be in a relationship and I want to eventually have a family and I'm a stand up comedian. And that's a something that's never going to go away. But those other things I've been in like all these little relationships, but not really committing. And, um, every time I would meet someone who I liked, I was always going somewhere else already. And, uh, I kind of was like, you know what, why don't I just stop trying to jump around to all these different places and try and land in one place and be in that place and commit to it. And that's, I mean, I've kind of always known that that's Melbourne, like this is my city. And um, so I kind of made a conscious decision to like decide to live in Melbourne, still tour, but when I tour, I'm just going away to do the shows and then coming back. I'm not going away to do the shows and then stay away for months. I'm just doing the shows for work and I'm coming back home. And um, yeah, very lucky that I had that kind of mental shift because then a few months later, COVID hit and then we're all in lockdown and it's like, well, you fucking got to stay home now, idiot. Yeah, literally. <laughs> it's like yeah. uh, if COVID was like, uh, at least here stateside, it was like if you didn't, if you were holding shit in or you had shit to work on, it's like now is the time to work on it. For some yeah, people, totally. it made them stronger. For others, it made them break. Like yeah man but yeah i wasn't over there for you i i i've been wanting to talk about that topic like oh man how, how okay what is what is locals perception of guidelines that the government is implementing there and is there multiple sides to it is everyone cool with it how do you mm. feel about it how was covid when it started versus how is it now everything yeah <laughs> how it started versus how it's going now <laughs> um man like what I've learned uh, during this is there are some things that you can't change and it's pointless trying to like just get angry or spend time stewing on those things. You know, um, the, it's best to focus on the shit that you can control. So like I can't control these restrictions and I happen to believe that the restrictions are the right thing to do. Um, I think it's good to try and protect people who can't protect themselves to try and stop the health system from being overwhelmed, but it's still upsetting. I can't do comedy. And this is something that I've done, you know, pretty much every night for the last 10 years and I can't fucking do it. It's very frustrating, but wow. I could, I could sit here and, and be angry about it and go, it's not mm -hmm. fair. Why, why is this happening to me? And I did that for a lot of last year. But this year I'm like, well, I can't change that, but I can change how I react and I can take responsibility for my choices, you know? So mm. I've um, been doing stuff like I set up my desk in my driveway with a sign that says comedian giving out free jokes. People walk by, I tell them jokes. Um, lately, as our vaccination rates rise towards 70%, we're allowed to have five fully vaccinated people in the park for a picnic. So I put on Instagram, who wants to come to the park and I'll do my show for you because I'm recording my show in a month. So I'm like, let me get some practice in. And uh, in the last week, I've done my show four times to fucking groups of four people in the park. Um, just trying to find little way. And look, also, there are rules, right? Like the rules mm. at the moment are there's a curfew from 9 p.m. till 5 a.m. You're not okay. allowed to leave. Yeah, your house maybe, maybe, parts. yeah. Could you explain all of the rules to me too? Because I've yeah, seen, okay. I've seen some couple, I've seen a couple of videos. Like, is it accurate that 
if you test positive or someone in your house will test positive, they come and they take all of your people and put you into one of the quarantine facilities. <laughs> no, nah, that that's accurate not accurate or inaccurate. No, nah, that's not it. It's if you test positive or someone in your house test positive, okay. um, then you stay, you got to stay in your house. I, I believe you have to stay in your house. Maybe okay. you got to go to hotel. No, I wouldn't have thought you'd go to hotel quarantine. I think you just got to stay in your house for 14 days. Also, if you're a, uh, if you're a contact, like, so a few, like a month or so ago, I just moved house, but my old housemate, yeah, yeah. Um, he went to a bakery and then someone at that bakery who was working there tested positive. So he was a primary contact, which meant me and him had to stay in the house for uh, 14 days from the date of contact. Um, and you're not allowed to leave your house for anything. That's like, yeah. And how do they know that you don't leave your house during that? Like, did you not? Well, I guess they just, that? yeah, I guess they just hope that you don't and you just shouldn't, you know, most people abide by that kind of stuff. The vast yeah. majority of people are like, yeah. But we found out a few days into it that the bakery got downgraded to a tier two exposure site. So tier one is like, the person tested positive okay. and then tier two, I don't know why, but it got, it's hard to keep up with everything, but it got downgraded sure. to tier two, which means you just have to isolate until you get a negative test. So we didn't have to do the full 14 days. We ended up, nice. we were isolating for like four days and then it was all sweet. So um, when you aren't isolating, what is it like when you go out and about? Is it like, yeah. do you have to wear masks even outdoors? Yeah, you got to wear masks. I got my mask. You got to wear masks nice. outdoors at all times. Okay. Um, okay. No venues are open for seated like dining or whatever. So like no it's all takeaway, only takeaway stuff. Are the restaurants um, survive, like businesses are surviving? Is the government? Yeah. Helping? What's that? There's like? a lot. There's a lot of help from the government. There's a lot of um, the government's been really good with giving money. So like businesses get X amount of money per week, and staff get money if you've been laid off. You get paid to go get a test. So like if you if you're told to go get a test, if you're told to go get a test because you've been like a contact somewhere, yeah. you get a four hundred and fifty dollar payment um, from the government for that, and you can get one of those hundred fifty dollars just to go yeah. get tested. Yeah, and you can get one of those a month. So like yeah, what so shit like that's, that's pretty cool. good. There's a yeah, there's that's a lot wild. of help from the government. Um, yeah, basically if you had a job before you're getting money from the government, which is chill. Um, but here's what I was, here's what I was going to say with the restrictions and everything is especially in this lockdown, which has been going for like three months now. Yeah. Um, people are a lot more lax about it. And it's just about like, some people are going to the city and protesting. Right. Mm. And I think sure. But you could also, if you don't like the rules, are they just protesting the lockdown or specific other? Th yeah, mandates? no, they're pro they're protesting the lockdown, or sometimes mm -hmm. they're protesting like people in the construction industry have to get vaccinated. That's like a government mandated thing. You have to get vaccinated. They're protesting that, but like one. Okay, so one of the other rules is you're not allowed to have anyone come to your house because that's the main place where it spreads is in households. So you're not allowed to do that, but. I just do it. People just do it. You okay. just make, there's right. rules and you just, you just make decisions. You know, you go sure. just because there's a rule doesn't mean that I don't have choices and I agree with the rules. And I think that these rules are in place for a reason. And a lot of them, you know, I think it's founded on science and it's all correct, but I also, I just want to go to my friend's house. So right. I've made a decision to go, I want to go to my friend's house. And if I get caught, I'll pay the fine, but is it, I'm not going to get is caught. Is it egregious? 
Oh, it's a big <laughs> fine. It's like five grand. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, it's so a big wait, fine. Wait, how many? How, wait, hold on. I want to do a little math. How many times would I have to go get their vex to go test <laughs> negative? Yeah, it'd be like 11. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Okay, interesting to hear. So, like, um, are, so are they're like, how is it like going to a grocery store and stuff? Is there like scheduled times that you have to go to a grocery store? Is it still fair game to go whenever? Mm. Oh, you can go. Oh, actually here's, see, this is how much I'm not worrying about the rules at the moment, because there's another rule that you're only allowed to leave your house for four hours every day for exercise or for medical. Are they tracking all this through an app or anything? No, they're just, these are the rules. And then you just, you know, it's like abide by the rules. It's like the speed limit. It's there. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you're just like, well, am I going to do that? No. So I'm going out and I'm hanging out with friends all the time. Just don't mm. be a fuckhead about it. That's yeah. why it's it's so crazy when people go protest. And it's like, you realize instead of going and protesting, you could have just Gone done what done you it. wanted to do. And but that would have been like a protest people, in itself, kind of. It feels like some people just want something to get angry at, you know? Mm. I see what you're yeah. saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's that's you know that's really fascinating. That's that's makes much more sense. It, it that's that's good to get to hear. Is there yeah? Which which vaccine is the one that's most predominant? Is it Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson and Johnson? What do you guys have over there? Do uh, have we don't we don't have the Johnson. We got um, Pfizer and AstraZeneca, and AstraZeneca. then we just mm. and we just got Moderna um, recently. I think people are starting to get Moderna. I got Pfizer. There was a th- another big thing that the government kind of fucked up is um, the AstraZeneca. There was that very rare blood clot. It's like one in fucking millions get a blood clot that you can possibly that die was from. Similar to the Johnson and Johnson one too. Right. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That's that's the and and um, rather than letting people know, look, it's safe. The government kind of freaked out a little bit, and so everyone didn't want to get it. So that's why. It's been such a long time us opening up because the government fucked up the supplies last year. They could have had meetings with Pfizer, but they were kind of dicks to Pfizer. They were like, oh, we'll see. And then everyone else got the vaccines, like all the other countries, and we were still waiting. Yeah. And then, and they kind of put all their eggs in the AstraZeneca basket. And then they found out that there was this weird side effect with AstraZeneca and people were like, well, I don't want that one. So like, I think in... Victoria at the moment we're on like uh maybe 80% of people have had their first dose and like 60% have had two doses mm. um and it's been rising really quickly the last few weeks once we get to 70% double dose the lockdown will lift which is in like two and a half weeks at this point okay. what was this thing I was seeing about camps being built like quarantine facilities what is that Oh, they want, yeah, they want to build quarantine facilities for um, incoming travelers. Uh, I don't know how useful that's going to be now, man. Like it's, I guess that's good. I guess it's a kind of cool thing to have if this kind of thing happens again, but for, for fucking COVID, it's like, (laughs) you know, everyone's just going to have it at some point. It's going to be in the community and we're just going to have to fucking move. Like I've got friends in the UK who, you know, they've, they've had COVID, they've, people fucking get it but you're vaccinated and it's just chill yep you know we can't keep the genie in the bottle forever at some point you just got to let it out and know that 
it's going to be out there. It's going to be like the common flu, you know? That's happened yeah. the year before this too, you know? Yeah, yeah. Get through it anyways. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, like it's it's a bit more intense than the common flu, but also as it mutates, true, true. it loses it loses how strong it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. So, yeah. so that when what is your guys's like trajectory before you're back open or like when when do you think you'll be doing live comedy again? Two and a half weeks. It should be October really? twenty sixth. Wow. Okay. Yeah. October twenty sixth. As soon as we reopen, it's like if you're fully vaccinated, you can do a bunch of stuff. There's just density limits. And then when we get to 80%, which is like a couple of weeks after that, it really opens up again. And that's when I'm shooting my special 12th of November. So, um, are you working? Yeah. I'm fucking hyped doing it independently fully. Uh, no, yeah, there's a uh, studio in Melbourne called stupid old studios and they film a lot of comedy. Um, they're kind of in the community. They've filmed a few other guys, specials who I know, and um yeah so i've never done this before this is my first time filming anything congrats it was five and a half grand out of my own money and uh and it's fucking happy it's in a studio there'll be a small audience, like 50 people in the audience okay um and it'll be an album and like audio uh sorry album and video as well and so is this going to go uh what what platforms are you going to distribute through um i'll chuck it up on youtube and uh i'll chuck it on i'll put it on spotify as well Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. I'm yeah, so man. stoked for you, man. How 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 long are you doing it? How long of a special? Uh it's it'd be an hour. Yeah. Okay. Or 50 minutes. Yeah. What's and man, I've, I've been... is the name of it Taco, right? You said or something? Yeah, yeah. It's Taco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I've been watching a lot of like um, I mean, like, do you know Mark Normand? Yes, I do know Mark Norman. Yeah, like Mark, Mark, like Park Norman, those videos he was doing mm-hmm. when lockdown was on in New York. And then uh, Sam Muriel did this fucking rooftop special recently. And he did a documentary about New York's clubs opening back up, which was sick. Um, And I really loved on his rooftop special, there's a lot of drone footage. So you can see the New York skyline and it's flying around. And then it kind of comes in and he's like on the rooftop telling jokes. There's Mm -hmm. also another guy called Rory Scovel who um, did a special. He did five nights fully improvised at this weird theater in Atlanta that Whoa. the guy basically stole an abandoned building from like, it was just abandoned and he built a theater inside it and started running shows. And Rory Scovel did like a special of fully improvised sets in there. I just been watching. There's a lot of, it feels like there's a lot of comics <laughs> so lately badass. and that they're, they're putting out stuff that it's like, it's the show, but it's also there's like an autobiographical element to it or like an element of like telling the story of making the thing or just their process as an artist. Um, and I really like that. So I've been working with a videographer to try and put out some videos in that kind of, you know, like I did a video of me doing jokes in my driveway. Um, I did another one that we're working on at the moment of, I took my desk to the park and set up, you know, the comedian telling jokes, but I was in the park, which is like packed full of people at at the moment. And, uh, I was expecting, people to come up and ask for jokes, but it's a different environment in the park. There's a lot of people around. Maybe people were nervous. So instead of normal people coming up, I just got kids, just kids were coming up to me asking for jokes. And I'm not a, I'm not a kid's comedian. So the video is me trying to fucking deal with that, which was kind of fun. Um, And then on Saturday I did two shows in the park of my, of my hour and we filmed that as well. So 
yeah, we're trying to come out with some other videos. There's the special, but then there's also this other stuff that's just like, yeah, you're trying you're to figure really out how to do this content stream. I like it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Trying. Yeah. Building the brand. I like that. So is your, would you say your following yeah. currently is heavily in Australia and then breaches into yeah. other markets? Yeah, no, my following at the moment is mostly around the festivals that I do. Um, Perth Fringe, Adelaide Fringe, Melbourne Comedy Festival, Edinburgh Fringe, a little bit of like people in Europe and stuff, but it's still Have you gotten in out the to early stuff. I've only just, no, I've never been to America. I would love to go to America. Fuck, you have to come out here and do yeah. the comedy scene. Yeah, man. I dude, I would fucking love to be in like to go to New York, man. It's like a dream. And I just, um, I guess I've never really put some serious effort into doing it. Mm. I moved to London when I was 23 and I realized when I got there that I actually just wanted to move to New York. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, maybe, maybe this will be a fever dream of New York. Yeah. 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 And London is like its own thing and it's like an amazing city mm. in its own right. But it's just, I was walking around London and like, I was like, why aren't these buildings tall? Like I imagine they would be, you know? <laughs> what was what was life like there? What did you get up to in London? Anything interesting happened? Uh, yeah, man, I, uh, I wrote a show about, I lived with a guy in London who was a con man. So I lived in this flat, he moved in and then he worked, he started working for the agency who let the flat. And he told everyone who moved in that he was the owner and he told the agency that no one lived there. So he just got all of the money from that. And uh, I wrote a blog about him every week in secret, put it on Facebook. And then I was working at a cafe and I would like give the blog out to people coming into the cafe and I would do shows and just like give the audience, you know, things. So people were reading it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then um, around Christmas time, the guy got arrested and like disappeared and he stole like a thousand pounds off of this fucking one chick and just kind of fled. Did he um, ever rob so you? I'd, no, he never did. It was as we, I'll, I'll send you the blog if you want to know the full story. I, but yeah. it was like, I knew what he was doing and he was kind of charismatic. So I was like, Oh, it's okay. Like he's not stealing from them. He's just stealing from the agency. So I kind of let it slide. But I probably should have said something, but I was like, like, you know, too caught up in my own life to be like getting involved with that. So I just wrote a blog instead. <laughs> oh, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm just going to observe this. And, and yeah, I was just like doing some fly on the wall shit. Did the, um, did the blog really go hectic. well? Did it hit well? Yeah, I got like a, a lot of people were, I think the first few got like a thousand like people reading it so it was like it was all right it was exciting at the time and then i wrote a stand-up show about it and that was my first show that i toured around in 2017 okay hell yeah your first show in 2017 yeah wow. yeah so i wind yeah i did like the edinburgh fringe and stuff sure yeah and is the, what is your yeah. favorite festival of those you were talking about the melbourne one the edinburgh fringe uh some of those yeah other uh edinburgh's the best edinburgh's yeah. the best edinburgh's incredible it's amazing if I think everyone should go there one time in their life, it's just the most incredible thing. It's a city. Edinburgh is a city of like a million people. And then during the festival, another million people come to the city. Holy There's 3000 shows. So like to put it in perspective, Edinburgh is the biggest comedy festival in the world. The second is I Montreal. Know, yeah. And the third is, and the third is Melbourne. 
And in Melbourne, I think in 2019, there were 600 shows. In Edinburgh, there were 3,000. Like, that's how much bigger. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah that's a way bigger It's thing. huge, man. Yeah, it's insane. No wonder. Yeah, you're in a prime spot to be doing comedy then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Melbourne's a great, Melbourne's a great place to do comedy. I wanted to ask about your father and that situation because we had a commonality. I'm actually half Colombian as well. My father is from Barranquilla. Oh, wow, man. Right That's sick. Yeah, no. I, yeah, where, cool. where, do you know whereabouts in Colombia your, your family's from? In Bogota. Bogota. Yes, very nice. Very yeah. nice. Yeah. So what, what was your but, um, altercation with him meeting him and how was that? Um, I was, tw- I was living in London. I was 24 and, uh, my, my mom and dad split up when I was 23. And so I was like, maybe we should just, you know, find this guy. I want to talk to him and see what he's about. Sure. And, um, my mom found him on Facebook through like some of the people who she knew from back then. And she gave me his contact and I spoke to him and he's had a pretty wild life. Like he fled Colombia from like violence, um, and then moved to Germany and uh, he lives in Austria now. He's got a wife out there. He did a bit of time in jail for like robbing a bank. He made some bad decisions and owed some people money and uh, ended up robbing a bank. And uh, so did a little bit of time, but late in life, like in his 40s, 50s, you know? No way. Um, yeah, man. So, but he's not like that kind of guy. Like he's a really sweet, he's not a criminal, you know? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. just an idiot who made some bad decisions. Yep. Um, and yeah, and, and and like he's out now, but he's got a criminal record. So he just fucking puts on shows and like he's a musician. So he just puts on events okay. and stuff for the Colombian community in uh, in Vienna in Austria. Whoa, that's pretty unique. Damn. Yeah. And what is your relation, would you say, with like your Colombian heritage and all that? Man, like pretty minimal. I would like it to be more. There's not, there is a big Colombian community in Melbourne, but growing up, I joke in the show, there were no Colombians in Adelaide. There's a lot of Greek people. So that's the closest that I had, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you do. We do. That tends to happen. Like I get, I get mistaken for Italian a lot. Oh yeah. 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 And I think that's too, because a lot of like Colombian people, like the immigration of it is from Spain and Spaniards are right. pretty light skinned. Yeah. True. Yeah. 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 You're pretty light skinned. Hey, are both of your, both of your parents from Colombia. No, my mom, my mom is, uh, she's German and Polish and Irish. She's- oh, wow. And your yeah. dad's Colombian. Yeah. He's a hundred percent. Yeah. That's Colombian. cool. And they, uh, they were together and like raised you together and all of that. Yeah. They were together. Yeah, they cool, got divorced man. when I was fairly young, but yeah, uh-huh. they, they were both. Yeah. But no, that's my grand, sick, my dad, they had to flee from Colombia because of cartel issues because of violence and such for his yeah, father. Well- yeah, man. I think that's why Fernando, my biological dad, he 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 told me his friend was shot and killed in Colombia, uh, in like the '90s, in the early '90s, and that's why he left. Yeah, that makes sense. No, literally, it ha- it was happening yeah. like crazy, which is like wild. Yeah. How about on your mom's yeah, side? man? Do you know I- your heritage there? Yeah, very like that. Our family on that side has been in Australia for like over a hundred years. I think they came from Cornwall in the UK in like the 1880s, 1890s. Um, And when I was living over there, um, my mom loves family history. So she's like writing this book of our family history. And we went to some churches and pubs that our family was like connected with 150 years ago. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Damn. And what were the, what was like the, what was the vibe? Did you meet any cool business owners at those pubs or anything? 
Yeah, yeah, we did. We went to one pub in Cornwall that our family, someone connected to our family owned in like the 1860s. Um, and we went there and, you know, these tiny country pubs, the people who own those, they know all of the history. So wow. my mom was like, oh, you know, this person, that person. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They owned the pub for like 15 years and fucking whatever. And we we're just like, oh my God, do we get free dinner? Nah, you still got to pay for dinner. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're removed. You're removed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. But yeah, we went and we went and saw some graves of some people from the family like 150 years ago. So that was cool, man. Very wow. cool. What a cool experience. It seems like yeah. you've done a fair bit of traveling, which has been amazing. Yeah, but a lot of a lot of running. I've done a lot of running, man. <laughs> a lot of running. <laughs> and so yeah. I wanted to ask, you did mention that that you now feel like you're founding, you know, you've set up and established a home for yourself. What do you define as home? Like what's your personal um, definition of home? That's a good question, man. I guess it's somewhere to come back to, isn't it? Somewhere where I'm just like, wherever I'm at, that's where I'm going back to. That's kind of where my, my head and my heart is at. Um, yeah. And just trying to be, I mean, I don't know if you can see my room, but trying to tee up my space to be a little bit more, you know, like somewhere that I'm proud of. You've got the vibes um, going on. I love all the plants. Are those live yeah, plants? Yeah, man. I learned a lot about gardening. Yeah, they're, they're real plants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I learned a lot about gardening in the last lockdown and I'm trying to... I just, I had a friend. This was a huge moment for me. I had a friend uh, okay. a couple of years ago who um, was my old housemate's girlfriend, right? And we all went out of a night out and we came home and uh, it was like two in the morning and she's a friend of mine from like long, like from UK and stuff. So she knows me. And she went into my room and she sat down on the floor and she was just like, Aiden, come in here, man. Look, sit down with me. Now look around at your room. And at this point, this was kind of when I was making this big decision of like, where am I going to stay? And she was like, she was like, what do you see on the walls? And I had nothing on my walls. I had no plants. I just had a bed and a dresser and fucking nothing. Mm -hmm. She was like, dude, if I lived in this room, I would be depressed. Why do you, why, why don't you, you've done so much traveling. You've been to so many places. You've met so many people and you live in a fucking, this room with just nothing. What are you doing? Like you put stuff on the walls. You should just put pictures of where you've been or what something just to be like, this is my thing. And, uh, and it really like affected me, you know, cause it's like your, your room where you sleep, uh, that's a reflection of your inner self and your inner life, you know? And if you don't, have a room that is a nice space to be in. What does that say about how you feel about yourself? So. hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. that's a really valid point. I it's, it's crazy. Once we start to be in tune, how much our surroundings and we start to listen to ourselves, how much of being aware can tell us exactly what we're experiencing without us even knowing it. Yeah, totally. That was a Yeah. And just like, and just putting work into the space that you live in. And like, I like, you know, working in the garden as well. It just feels mm. like putting work into yourself. It's like every time I go out into the garden and water my plants, it's like, I'm saying to myself, I'm staying here. I'm committing to this place. I'm not trying to get somewhere else. You know, I'm not trying to find the next thing that's going to make me happy. This where I'm at, this is enough for me. And I can be happy with this. Mm. I wanted yeah. to ask, I, as we get closer to the end, I, I have a few questions I sort of ask everyone. How would you define love? Love. <laughs> you know what? When I was in year nine at school, like 14, in our Christianity and life class, 
uh, and I was a smart ass kid. I was like, I'm, I'm an atheist. Actually, I don't believe in God. Um, just cause I wanted to tell everyone how smart I was. And we had a, a, a day where we, um, our teacher gave us a little thing of like, can you define all of these concepts? And it was like love and family and friendship and whatever. And we went out onto the lawns for a couple hours in the sun and just wrote what we thought those were. And I always thought that was such a cool thing um, to get kids to think about what does that actually mean? And I think I wasted it by trying to be a smart ass and going, love is defined as when two people are blah, 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 chemical connections or whatever the fuck I said, you know, rather than actually think, but how would I define love? I don't know. Um, feeling comfortable, maybe someone who feels like home a person who, when you're around them, you just feel like, you know, um, yeah, comfortable and, like and, and like able to be yourself. Like you don't need to be anyone else. Like you don't need to change or whatever. Mm. I like that. Yeah. That's a good answer. No one's, no one said that yet. Uh, someone, something that feels like home or something. I, I like that. I like that. Cause it, that does, when you think about that, it doesn't elicit all of the emotions and the feelings that you would want out of love which I like. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah. What do people normally say? What kind of stuff do people say? Everyone's given such varied answers. I, I don't know. Some people have been like, you can't define love. It's, it's something that's larger than humans. Some people have gone the more route that you were talking about with like, Oh, it's a chemical experience in which to, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, but again, I think for, I think love is vague. It's too hard to try and overemphasize what love is or try and over explain it but it's sort of what you said it's like love is kind of connection in my opinion because even mm -hmm. when you're mad at someone in a regard you're connecting and in a regard that does stem from love so i don't know yeah that's true something from that some something from there but that's it isn't it like when you're mad at someone it's almost like you're just upset that they're not being who you wanted them or hoped them or thought that they might be precisely. um which is I mean, in a way that's kind of not love because you're not loving them. You're loving the idea that you had of them, but there's some sort of like positive thing behind that. Yeah. Yeah. That's unique. Interesting. Uh, I wanted to ask too, what, what, what do you define as the meaning of life? Um, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Uh, I think to just fucking be, try and be happy, have fun, have fun. That's a good one to try and have fun and follow the things that you enjoy and not fucking do stuff so that you can get something in the future. What a nightmare of a fucking way to live, you know? Yeah. I don't, I just, I've, I've always tried to go towards the things that I like. I like doing comedy and the, the moment when they call my name and I walk on stage, that's the best moment in my life. So I want to do that as much as I can and then be around people that, you know, make me feel good that I can laugh, do stuff that makes me feel good. That makes me happy. Yeah. I don't know. That sounds really vague. Oh, I like that. You get, like everyone that. has that little, every, everyone's got a little thing inside them, you know, the voice, right. That kind of, you know what you want to do, listen to the voice and just go and do that stuff and don't try and do the other fucking bullshit, spend <laughs> money and, and for all the fucking bullshit that you know, you know, it doesn't make you happy. You know, it doesn't stop lying 100%. to yourself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I agree with that too. It's like, 
one thing that I try and do, especially because we have technology is like detox from it to try and get back to like simplicity because there's so much beauty in the simple in simplicity. And like, I find any state of meditativeness, like for, I even think for you for like potentially performing on stage and doing comedy um, for me, like reading books is like a completely meditative state. And once you locked in, you're in it. Like, I think as long as yeah. we, as humans find more activities that bring that out in us, that we will have a better connection with, with everything we're doing and how we're living. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. Actually doing stuff that brings you into the moment. Yeah. Because that's what comedy and being with people have in common for me. It's yeah. Something it's, it's just a thing that brings you into the moment that stops you thinking about the future or worrying about the past. Yeah. Yeah. I have one final Just question. Just live, bro. <laughs> Hell yes. <laughs> what a good sentiment. Uh, if you had one piece of advice that you had to share for anyone who's listening to this, what would that piece of advice be? Uh, don't be a fuckhead. <laughs> Elaborate. No, what does that know. mean? I don't know, man. Um, one piece of advice. Just fucking... I, what, I guess the stuff that I said before. Find the things... Like, like when I was a kid doing drugs and, and, you know, smashing tram stops, um, I had a moment with it. I had a moment with a friend when I was 19 and was sitting in his shed at his mom's house, the way we used to smoke weed and drink goon. And, uh, goon is what we call wine that comes in a box in Australia. Oh, okay. You know, Hell, oh, I'm stealing that. Oh, do you know this saying yeah. brew? It's South African. I don't know if you, you get you, brew, brew, B-R-U. brew. Brew. Oh, what's that? A uh, brew is like someone who's more than it's like your best friend. It's like someone you have a deep kingship with. Oh, that's probably Save like your bra. Brew. Yeah, that's it's probably like, like bro. Bra. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's yeah. It's no, I don't know that goon. That's I, badass. I'm not, a, I'm not across the Safa slang, but yeah, goon, man. That's um, that's like box wine. Right. So, yeah, we used to drink goon and smoke weed in my mate's shed or at his mom's house. And I remember we were just trying to, we were both sitting there knowing that what we were doing isn't what we wanted to do forever. We were like, what do you do if you're not doing this? Like if we just didn't smoke weed and drink goon, what would we do? What do people do all day? And that moment was like, I guess for me, not doing that stuff was finding stuff that I cared about more. It's not that you like, have to say to yourself, okay, I'm going to stop taking drugs. Cause if you're going to stop taking drugs, well, what are you going to replace? You can't just not do it. You need to have something that you care about more than that thing. And so for me, the start of me finding a, like a path that I was happy with was finding something that I cared about more than taking drugs, which was stand up. So if I got a gig that night, I want to do well, I want it to feel good. And the only way that's going to happen is if I, if I didn't get fucked up the night before, you know? So I guess what I would say to anyone as advice is number one, probably don't listen to me, but number two, (laughs) (laughs) find something that you care about more than the self-destructive shit that you do and, and do that thing, you know? Hell yes. That's, yo, that's really wise. It's, it's so simple, but it's so wise. And, and what a cool way to, pull yourself out of that. Like, cause a lot of people, like once they find their thing to get them out of substances or whatever, but the fact that you like 
we're able to change your whole mindset and be like, let me just find something that I care about even more than just wasting my time doing this. And that pulls you yeah. out. Of that is so, it's such a unique rewiring on that perception of the situation. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you, bro. Yeah. Appreciate and that. We're getting to the end of our time here. I want to give you a chance before we finish up. First off, thank you so much for your time today, Aiden, and sharing this. And I can't wait for the opportunity if I'm ever at your, uh, in Australia or if you're here to come see a comedy show of yours live. I, it would, I would yeah, die thanks, bro. that. That would be amazing. Ah, but... Chad, that'd be really cool, man. I would love to do that at some point. Hell yes. Do you want to plug? Where can people find you? What, what do you have going on? Plug yeah. Anything you want. Um, I'm, uh, on Instagram, Aiden Jones comedy and, uh, my website, AidenJonesComedy.com. Um, follow me on those. And, uh, my special will be out taco about me and my biological dad will be out. I reckon January, if I had to take a stab at it, who knows with the way things are, but I, I reckon January. So, um, yeah, suss those out or go on. Um, if you go on my Instagram, there's like my link tree, and on that, there's all my links for like YouTube, my podcast that I do every Tuesday called Sitting Under a Tree. Um, there's a few videos on my YouTube right now. But yeah, if you had to go to one place, go to my Instagram because everything else comes off of that. Perfect. Great. Well, yeah. thank you so much for your time today. And as always, folks, stay happy, stay hungry, and we love you. Have a great day.